and welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast about our gaming group. I'm one of your hosts, Tom Donnelly, and today I am joined by someone on the other coast of the United States, <laughs> the rules lawyer, Alfred. How are you, sir? Hanging in there, holding up. It's just a couple days into 2021. 20. <laughs> oh, gosh. It feels weird to even say those words out loud. But yeah, we're, we're just on the other side. The whole world is totally different. It's absolutely the same. Uh, <laughs> and I'm really happy to be here. <laughs> it, it, it is, it is uh, not different yet, but it still yeah. feels a little different. It feels like like uh we we got some tough times we got to buckle down a little bit but we're we're going to get mm-hmm. through this i think is the uh is the 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 buzz even over here in Los Angeles which seems to be the ninth circle of covid hell right now but uh, <laughs> i mean i do think if we're going to put this in game terms we have a big turn ahead of us this 21 yes um we're going to have a big yeah a big round there's going to be a lot of bonuses we're going to cash in all those uh, those chits we've been saving, everything's going to happen. That's what I'm crossing my fingers for. Let's make it, yeah, the round that counts. Absolutely, yeah, and and you know, and and the people that are are, are going out, those are those are the people that are going to be, those are your fellow players that are going to be backstabbing you. So be careful, <laughs> stay away from. Them. There's a trader mechanic to this game. There's oh, no. there is definitely a trader mechanic in 2021. At least in the short <laughs> term. Uh, but but we also have to talk about something that we did talk about. You are a daddy. Congratulations, Alfred. This is our first chance to actually uh, talk to you about it. So t- tell us, tell us, how's the experience going so far? It's, it's incredible. Um, I, I will say, and so this is, and this is a part of the crux of what makes this such an interesting experience for me is came into this, um, you know, entirely all the pregnancy happened during COVID time. Uh, we don't have to get into the, the details of exactly when things started, but a little bit, you know, kind of prior to with the world shut down. So mm-hmm. it's interesting, uh, the notion and nature to which that affected. And there were certainly lots of stories going around about, you know, people having to to do pretty extreme things when it came down to, to the birthing process. And we were amongst some of that, just a little bit, masks all the time and and some of those vibes. I, I will say on the on the other side, I've also been coming through a personal reckoning where I've really you know, this has been a long time coming and kind of privately held, but now publicly shared partially because of the child. I've really come into my, my truth of being non-binary as an individual. Mm. And that makes, you know, what is essentially fatherhood very strange, uh, and a little bit dysmorphic, uh, because I don't feel dad like, I don't feel father like, uh, but that isn't to, to make any less of the experience. It just makes it a whole, like it's a whole new adventure for for both myself and my partner to to kind of come across to kind of yes. to to strive more openly into. So yeah, yeah it, there's a lot of dysphoria but then also a lot of euphoria and the whole thing's happening. So so you identify strongly as parent though, right? That's the Yes, I am definitely a parent. I, <laughs> my my genetic mix is is 100% in this. And uh equally I've come up with this term and it's just this kind of, you know, the terminology that one has to start to figure out especially for the kid is just fig as in like figure maybe, but yeah, fig. I'm, I'm oh, neat. This, I like that. This little boy's figgy, so that's how it works right now. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Now, uh, since you are a DJ and you've traveled all around the mm-hmm. world, did any of your other eighteen children in the the, uh, the you know the third world countries uh, that you frequented uh, did in, did any of those experiences inform this one? I, I will say so. Never, never having, um, <laughs> never having this experience, but prior to this, never having children, 
But I will say being a releasing artist, and maybe you can sympathize with this, being someone who's put out probably even before the, your children came along, even though they're, they're a bit older, mm-hmm. you, you've been an artist who's been, been putting out work. And there is an aspect to this where, you know, probably we are mimicking uh, creation in terms of like that feminine possibility of birth. Uh, female body possibility of birth where I, I've some, never had that opportunity before, but I've been putting out records my entire adult life. And so I have 20 of those children yeah. that have been out there and like doing their, you know, growing up and having lives and kind of going forward. And, and, uh, and this is of course, nothing like that. No, none of these metaphors that I used to use <laughs> weekly in the past would even count, even like hold a candle to what happens when your child smiles at you is a whole different experience <laughs> than when your record is put on some sort of top 10 list or, or you know, collaborators go on to do great things or other things. It is it is humbling how uh, how much how magnified the experience of creation is when it is a living, breathing, uh, a being that you are responsible for, isn't it? Needful. Yeah. 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 Percent. So much yeah. so. So much so. <laughs> yeah. Have you? Um, so Eric Clapton said something a, a, a while back that I thought was really interesting. When he had a child rather late in life, uh, he said mm. that he had to, he, his one piece of advice was to not do the whole, I must go hunt for food. It's like, it, it's, it's, a very, mm. it's a very common thing for, uh, for all parents to, they have a child and they suddenly kick their work into a much higher gear and it's mm. uh, maybe evolutionary i'm not sure if 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 that's a, a, an appropriate word sure. for for what it is uh but i definitely felt that uh for both of my mm. both of my children i was like oh well gotta you know gotta earn that diaper <laughs> money gotta get out there and, and 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 take care of business and uh with the with my second with my daughter i was you know i, I had heard that quote and i was had mm. to be very very intentional about reducing that and about spending you know a lot more time with with mother with child with you know you know mm. with that with that family unit are you experiencing anything like that i mean it's it's kind of weird because it's covid right where it's quarantine right. Yeah, we've been we've been totally hiding out altogether. Anyways, oh, I think you might even hear in the background just a little bit of the child. Yeah, it's all to the good. It's going to be a little bit like that this this podcast and no further podcasts going forward, which is wonderful. Um, I, I will say that this that nesting instinct, right? That thing that kicks in. Yeah. Uh, we yeah, I don't know if it would have been remarkably different. Um, it's really hard to future cast or forecast uh, any other kind of possible reality where COVID wasn't such a thing. But right. we have been nesting and hiding out. And since my a lot of my work had pivoted already away from the touring business and and kind of the record releasing music industry typical yeah. into this educational role, and that continues and you know if anything is getting stronger um, as more people kind of re embrace their passion and return to school is what we've been seeing uh, as a as kind of a as academia writ large, especially for the kind of the arts and humanities seems to be having a renaissance in this like immediate turn. They, that'll probably change in the next couple of years as people get practical again. But I, I will say that it, it feels like maybe that will kick in stronger. Maybe I won't immediately jump back on my nationwide tour that I had to kind of give up <laughs> for, for when, before a kid, before COVID. Um, and uh, those kind of things maybe will be a little smaller in the future. But I don't feel like, I don't feel necessarily that thing of immediately needing to, to kind of hit um, and try to like ask for promotions and, and kind of Great. try to, to make, make ends. But I, 
I am really eager to, to, to be present in this, in this kid's life in a way that I think a touring musician wouldn't normally always have the opportunity. So I am, I am interested in what that means. I definitely have plenty of friends that have done like the tour with the kid kind of thing, like put them on the tour bus and run them around. Wow. And I, I think that's a great experience for all up into a certain age. And then probably it gets pretty hard on everybody. And so maybe it'll be some of that, but it's hard to say where the world's going to be, especially the music industry has been hit so hard recently. So, it really, really, you know. really has. So uh, very thankful that, that you have that, uh, that, that amazing teaching gig. So why, don't you, why don't you fill us in? How is the teaching going? You're, you know, this has been mm. a big, big life change for you in addition to having a, having a child as well. But how's the teaching going? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's impacted my gaming a, a bit, but, um, <laughs> but no, no, yeah, I, I've been, I've been, I've been signed on to the Berkeley College of Music here in Boston. So it wasn't just a kind of taking on a job. It was also moving off uh, to the East Coast away from my kind of typical gaming group. So there was a period of time on the podcast where I was a little dipped out as those first couple months were going by. And it was really like we, we hadn't gone online. We hadn't figured out how to game at, at distance. And, and so I do in the most strange way, oh, COVID um, that, that weird bit. And, you know, maybe it's just the reckoning in general that, you know, we, I, I'm so grateful that we basically found a way of gaming again. We found a way of kind of being in, in friendship and sitting around the virtual table for the time being. And of course, when y'all are back all together, hopefully very soon, I will be missing that quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but, but the educational side of it, just as, as to your question, it's, it has been remarkable and being present for, for people making uh, their eurekas, their their kind of big lightning bolt moments, especially with creativity, things that I've been thinking about for a long time has been wonderful. And I, I'm sure, you know, as as we all kind of see a return, our normal will be different. It'll be The orientation of it will be slightly changed, if not wholly different. Um, and I am kind of curious in how much we can keep all these different facets moving. You know, there's more and more people who are doing remote work. There'll probably be more and more remote gaming that happens in that then. And what that mixture of IRL and online maybe will yield a whole new, you know, kind of expression of meaningful interaction. It right now it does feel really bifurcated, but that's you know it's okay. That's the way it is. Yeah, it's going to be a thing. Yeah. Look, I'm I'm working on building the Alfred Bot 2021. <laughs> uh, There's and- a really easy, you know, it's almost like one of Maddie's uh, Tom, uh, Toma. You just yeah. have as so if 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 you if Maddie can or yourself can kind of build that bot, it just make it so that it just nags everyone for their uh, their turn, exactly. and their if they took the right amount of uh, of, of you know of meeples and or uh, resources, and then that's it. That's pretty much it. Then you just have them take the random turn where they just make a bad decision. That'll be me. That's great. <laughs> you took one more. <laughs> you took one more wheat than you should have. <laughs> Did you hear the new album from Blank? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, that's that's highly accurate. And uh, I mean, you know, hey, we could probably all sum ourselves up in the the one player game where each of us uh, <laughs> get the rest of our game group. There probably are ways to make some archetypes out of us all, not just uh, living up to our, our game brain um, yeah, names, but oh yeah, there's a few other little details to sew in and we'd be fine. Yeah, my, yeah Paul my, would be especially a delight, I must say. Oh yeah, Goodness. well, I think Paul Paul's bot would just be a series of rotating knives, wouldn't it be? 
Uh, mine never, would, I mean, yeah, never underestimate the rotating knives, though. It's great. <laughs> uh, mine would definitely be uh, um, just ac- the worst accents in the world, nonstop, just <laughs> switching in and out. Um, let's get let's get back to the to the podcast itself and tell you that this is round ten, turn three, and we are going to be talking about the 2017 release, Brass Birmingham, by Gavin mm. Brown, Matt Tolman, and the amazing Martin. Wallace. And then Alfred and I are going to talk about uh, an interesting co- topic, refreshing the player pool. How do we do our part to create the welcoming community that we want? Is that uh, a good enough summation of what we're talking about? Uh, absolutely. That's, that's 100% the thing. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Why don't we get right into this week's game night? Alfred, we both played Brass this week. What else did you play this week, if anything? Yeah, I've been getting a few games of Lorenzo in now that Yukata, I think it's pronounced Yukata. It's probably yep. not. It's a German website. Um, I think but it is. I, one of my favorite games of all time, finally available online. To and It's been available, but I've, I've blundered into it thanks to Maddie of the podcast. And then uh, gotten some Anno 1800, that new hotness. Um, I've been uh, having a really wonderful tete-a-tete with another listener to the podcast um, of Santorini. We just go back and forth and back and forth. And, you know, uh, yeah, that's, that's one of these games where at first, I think I started to play it with, with Paul and I had my doubts about its lasting power. like this, the kind of last of this, the simple aspect of the game. But of course those intricate God powers really unlock an almost unlimited possibility. Um, Russian railroads is my daily. And we'll talk about that in games (laughs) in the brain. And, uh, and of course, um, the other thing I'd mention too, just to, to kind of get out of the way, is that Cyberpunk 2077, f- full of all of its flaws, has provided a really welcome uh, open sandbox kind of world to get lost in. So it's less game and more I'm a tourist in a slight dystopian future that isn't so um, unreal uh, compared to ours. Yeah. Right. I, I've, heard, I've heard that if you can get past the flaws, that it really is quite, quite an amazing, amazing production. And, and so Maddie might disagree with his like you know million pixel uh, screens and and super fast computer <laughs> and and, and uh, those else in the and the in the podcast who have similar setups and my I don't really have a PS4 yeah. you know supposedly this this uh, Cyberpunk 2077 runs padly on that it looks amazing to me and it really does function as a you know like a lot of things to do that aren't just shoot 'em up. Yeah, and that's what I'm looking for right now in a game. I don't need Animal Crossing. I did that for plenty of time. It's it's plenty of fun, <laughs> but I don't. Yeah, I don't need to d- detail my island. I, I you know would like to uh, find a few less dildos um, in twenty Cyberpunk 2077, but that's okay. It's part of the the game. And uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, really interesting, really interesting uh, overall. Um, yeah, despite what is his occasional freezes and and kind of breakdowns. And among the game brainers, we're, we're, there's a bit of a disparity in terms of how we feel about uh, Anno 1800. There are some people mm. that absolutely are calling it their game of the year, and there are other people that are saying, nah, it's okay. It's not that great. Where, where do you fall on that spectrum? What do you think about it? I, I had one in. I only had one play in, and I liked it a lot. I, I really did. Um, I, I thought the simple elegance of uh, a really di- like dispersed um, kind of field of decision is, is kind of – 
is a little different than what I've been playing a lot of. Mm-hmm. Read the Russian railroad uh, game where you, you know, kind of the knives are out and it's really tight. So this one probably has some of the same aspects once you play a little bit more. But I liked the kind of this is a whole huge decision space, tons of resources. I'm not quite to to elders level of like resource uh you know like joy <laughs> but I, I have bits of it and um so i really enjoyed just just being you know like i i like uh being new and novel things and just not knowing what i'm doing and kind of just exploring the space as we will talk about with brass sure sure sure. as i did very poorly uh in my, in my first play you did not do but poorly at all what one you were in like 138 or something like that almost 140 you you had a very good score sir you had a very good score. i appreciate that it just it more felt like that kind of floundering thing of you when you read the rules and then you play the game and you feel like you're playing a slightly different game or a very different game that's uh, you see that to me is a mark a, a strong mark of novice which is fine it's, sure. it's a really fun space to be so well as, as we'll discuss it, it is a game of great nuance so uh, exactly. Yeah. That, that is the truth of it. And Martin Wallace, Martin Wallace, anno eighteen hundred, and uh, and brass, both <laughs> the brasses. So uh, for me, I played some more Tamantinsuyu. Uh, I continue to mm. love. I could, I, I'm growing in appreciation every time I play. Sometimes you play a game and you love it, and then the more you play it, you're like, yeah, I still love it. It's just not quite, you know, the 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 the, the the shine is wearing off a little bit, and sometimes it just intensifies. Uh, Tamantinsu, you so far seems to be intensifying for me, which is kind of cool. Mm. Uh, Crokinole, oh my goodness. My house and Crokinole this Christmas <laughs> season. Uh, as I mentioned uh, two weeks ago, a, a, a wonderful listener gave uh, you know made a Crokinole board and sent it to Game Brain, and I ended up being the, uh, the recipient of it. My family has been playing it nonstop. Like, my wife will come to me in the middle of the afternoon on a Saturday and be like, yeah, you want to play the flicky game? <laughs> she wants to play Crokinole. <laughs> I'm like, all right, all right. So we, we pull it out, and, and she's obsessed with it. My son is getting really good at it, like maybe maybe too good. Uh, there's a uh, little cir- depressed circle in the center, and if you get a uh, if you flick a thing in there, it's worth twenty points, and then you take it off the board. And he is quickly getting to the point where he, he can pretty much just flick it in there almost any time he wants. And I'm like, I'm not sure there's a game left. I'm not sure what to do now. <laughs> um, played brass. I played both ber- versions of brass. I wanted to get a, a, another play of uh, Lancashire, which I've played a hundred times, but not recently. Uh, and then last but not least, uh, Wavelength. Wavelength is such mm. a great uh, um, a party game, a good family game. It, it's it's really interesting. Um, three out of four of our family uh, get Wavelength 100%. Because and are, because what it really is, it's about nuance, right? It's about it's about well, is this twenty percent away from the worst of this particular category? Is it thirty percent? You know, where is it on that scale? And one person in in our family, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say who, just kind of seems to have a more black and white view of the world. And so wavelength is really interesting with with a person that views things more starkly. Right, because finding that you know, finding that that needle point in the middle is much harder to to. It, it's much harder for them to come up with a clue, and it's much mm. harder for them to interpret clues of others. But the great thing about the game is that the game really is about telepathy, right? It's it's not about 
any kind of objective measure of whatever the clue is or whatever the whatever the topic is. It's merely how, what is this person thinking and getting. Well, into you're playing the person, not the not the clue, right? Precisely, you're right. The, yeah. Precisely right. So it's really, really interesting, you know, seeing somebody that has a very different, uh, a different sort of take on things and getting into their mindset. And I'm finding it to be a really neat thing in that I'm kind of walking in another person's moccasins while I'm playing the game, Mm -hmm. which is a a kind of an intimate experience. It's really cool. Oh, amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Shall (laughs) shall we get to the news? We don't have a lot of news this week, but let's, uh, let's get to it. First bit of game news. Some people, Maddie, have been waiting for this for a long, long time. Uh, Xavier Georges is the designer of Trois, Maddie's number one game of all time. And his new game, Carnegie, we had some discussion as to whether or not, uh, as to how you pronounce it. You definitely pronounce it Carnegie, the emphasis on the second syllable. Uh, <laughs> Carnegie is going to be on Kickstarter January 18th. It is coming, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the rules are not out yet. We've had some pictures. We've had some early reports. The early reports are very, very positive. It is going to be an economic engine building kind of game. And I would love to see what uh, Xavier George is. You're a fan of uh, you're a fan of Trois, aren't you? Very much. Yeah, actually, I should have mentioned I am keeping up a game of Trois currently going as well. BGA has uh, a, a fairly good build of it, and um, so it's happening. And uh, yeah, I like Trois a lot, even though it can be a little bit messy, especially depending on who you're playing with. There's a lot of micro moves and yeah. a lot of things to take care of. It has that little bit of a cooperative aspect to it. I'm curious on Carnegie if they're going to you know total remix some elements of this. It's it is an amazing game. So Carnegie has a lot of a lot of things going for it already. Indeed. Uh, next up, I just want to keep people abreast of when some of the new hotness will be coming to the shores of America. Anyway, uh, Hollertau, the new Uwe Rosenberg game that uh, that talk about ga- a game that's been getting some mixed reviews in our particular group. Um, Maddie is oh completely over the moon. Loves it. Loves it. Loves it. And I've got uh, a couple other game brainers that say I don't think I need to play that game ever again. So I, I'm 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 really dying to play it because everything I'm looking at about it, uh, it looks like it might I might be on Maddie's side of of the equation on this. It looks pretty amazing to me. Uh, we have found out now that on January 29th it's going to be out in North America. So, wow. so I soon. yeah, I, yeah, I don't know how they're. Um, Able to say for sure that that data is going to hold, given uh, the you know what has happened to our post office, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, we'll we'll take their word for it. And then uh, a game that uh, Jennifer has been talking about a, a little bit, Polynesia, is a uh, is a game that she thinks very highly of. She's she's quite fascinated by it. I love the theme. I love the setting. Um, and evidently it is going to be in North America in stores on January 15th. So coming up really, really soon. Did you play? You do you think play? there's a, go ahead. Yeah. I was just gonna say, do you think there's a rush for some of this? Because, you know, these developers, these, these publishers know that we're all going to be locked down for a little while longer. And maybe these games that would have been held for some big faster con now are just, you know, like, Hey, we gotta, we gotta, ramp this up put the gas on it's a it's an interesting question because 
the truth of it is is that both of those games, Polynesia uh-huh. and Halatau, uh, came out at Essen. And they would mm-hmm. have, if, if Essen happened, if the Spiel, if the fair had happened, they both would have been released there. And I mm-hmm. believe that nowadays, when you release at Essen, uh, you are releasing to the States in December. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, get the holiday thing going right, right, right. As best you can. It's it's actually a real scramble for for a lot of uh, a lot of publishers. They're really tr- because the the October uh, date for the European debut and then meeting a a shipping deadline to get it into stores fast enough for people to get it before Christmas is really super tight. I think in the future, I think, you know, Spiel may have to try and move back toward to, in, into September or something along those lines, or they may have to come up with mm-hmm. another way to get that uh, that North American money, but realize that, that our, our hobby is an international one. It's not uh, it's not uh, America-centric, even if we are all Americans on, on this podcast. Um, but yeah, I think that really, I think Polynesia and Alertau would be uh, would be a December release if not for COVID. So I think they're actually I think they're actually coming in late, is my guess. Hmm. I don't know. Well, welcome. Either way, I think our, our hobby does. You know, there is a lot of banging our heads on the same games, especially the same online games. And so, if there's some new hotness that can get people. You know, feeling a slightly different way, especially if they de- devise some new mechanic that isn't quite as present in the yep. in our current crop, would be great, right? I'm looking forward to that. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I should also point out that there are some expansions that are are, are quite interesting that are coming out. If you like Nusfjord, uh, Matt talks often about how that's one of his uh, one of his favorite games. That sort of, sort of lost game. Uh, the year we were at uh, at Essen, we it was the debut of Nusfjord, and we liked it very very much. There's a salmon deck. Uh, new cards that are going to be for the expansion uh, that should be coming out uh, pretty much right now. Um, Wildlands. Speaking of Martin Wallace, Martin Wallace's sort of lighter fantasy game uh, has an expansion called The Ancients. Uh, two expansions for Anachrony that we've been waiting for for mm-hmm. quite some time are coming out as well. Uh, and there's even a new deck of cards for the new improved edition of Agricola called the Dulcinara deck. Any chance we're going to have any game brainers on those cards? Just, just throwing it out there. <laughs> we we do know that uh, that that there is a card that has Trey on him on it, uh, but uh, I don't think anybody is in this particular one. Who okay. would you? Okay. Who would you want to put checking. on a card? I mean, Dimitri. Uh, I think <laughs> if if not already incidentally being uh, honored um, in other podcasts, should be honored in other games. I'm just saying, especially for someone who probably would never actually play the game, probably the least interested in in, in that would be would be a fine fodder for such. I Great. agree. I think I, I also think that uh, Jennifer, for her de- decades oh. in the in the hobby, I think uh, I oh, think yeah. she she should definitely definitely have a card. The Pioneer, for instance, by the way, right. it wouldn't be it wouldn't be the worst card in the world to have there. Um, mm-hmm. Next up in a piece of news, we have uh, something that is going to make Maddie absolutely explode with joy: Concordia Solitaria is an expansion that allows single-player game of Concordia, one of his favorite games, uh, to be played. It is a special solo mode that uh, that you can do, and there'll be three skill levels, standard, advanced, and expert. Expert is supposed to be very, very hard to beat, um, and uh, I don't know, it, it looks really good. It should be about th- only about 30 minutes to, to play it, and hey, if you are, uh, if you're isolated and you have Concordia, 
Concordia Solitaria sounds like like a no brainer, right? I mean, sure. Even though I yeah can't even imagine how how they're going to do this, how they're going to pull it off. But that's great. Well, you know, I, I you know, I mean, Matty did talk about how uh, the automas uh, of the world have been really revolutionary in the hobby and not talked about mm-hmm. very much. That people have come up with some amazing, amazing ways to take these multiplayer experiences and find a way to to make them really engaging solo puzzles, which is, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's really, really cool. I don't particularly uh-huh. like solo gaming particularly much, but I, I, I admire I admire the design of it, and I love the fact that for people that, that do like it, that, that, uh, that they're able to scratch that itch. I just knew so little about it before solo mode episodes came along. I mean, thankfully y'all had ushered me into the get into the hobby. Mm. Uh, so, so wonderfully. And so I never really had looked back into the idea of, you know, of, to me, solo gaming was, you know, those like choose your own adventures or stuff, which is, is a fine format, but really, you know, as a teenager or a long ago was not fleshed out. And so to hear the solo mode where things had gotten to the place that they were, did make it really curious and interesting. I, I haven't pulled the, I haven't pulled the the lever on any of those in the kind of this COVID time, uh, but I have been sorely, um, yeah, really interested in possibly kicking up some of that stuff, but all based on the recommendations that Maddie's brought to the table. So yeah, Concordia, Solitary, right? Solitaria, um, yes. Solitaria, yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the one. Maybe, Maybe it is. One. And uh, last but not least, uh, there, there's a, a series of kind of, um, I guess, escape room games called Unlock. I have a couple of them. I played them. They're very elegant. It's a deck of cards, and the cards have mm-hmm. hidden symbols and all sorts of things you have to figure out. You have to figure out how to use this card to get to that card. And to you, you sometimes the cards are clues that are on the table in front of you when you're putting things together. Very, very mm-hmm. creative. Very, very well done as far as a, a short escape room experience. Well, Unlock now has a kid's version that is going to be cool. a, a a brand for younger kids. There are going to be puzzles and adventures, and they're going to be aimed at kids uh, ages six and up. So not quite for you yet, Alfred, but, but it's... <laughs> I but wonder it's if with Jesse's kids, I'd imagine Jesse, yes. who I've known as being an, uh, an escape room enthusiast, yes, um, and done even a handful with them, Owner. and then... Escape but then, equally, like I imagine, this kind of game really scratches some of their itches, and then to their kids are kind of that they're a little older than that, right? But yeah. something like that, they're around that age. They're, Gosh, yeah, I think they might be might be dead on. Um, now, with with your baby, you're mostly playing Panzer Blitz, is that right? <laughs> I mean, my baby seems to be mostly interested in the game of discovering their hands right now, just a little <laughs> bit. Like you know, I have hands. That's that's a game. Right? It's a really, that's a dexterity game, really. It's, it's a pretty a advanced really dexterity game. game, and I'm really in awe. Yeah. Uh, also, what is a smile? Which again is a lovely game to see unfold. It's really an experiential uh, multiplayer game that is also as a solo variant. But um, yeah. Well, and the adult so. and the adults mirror to that as they're doing that game. You're playing smile or fart, where you're trying to figure <laughs> out whether or not they <laughs> whether or not the smile means they they have a lot of gas or. <laughs> There's definitely, yeah, there's definitely a lot of gas going on, but most of it's just evident. I, I don't know about secret gas yet. That That's a different, that's, there's the trader mechanic game kicking up again, but uh, yeah. 
there has been a lot of guessing to see if the blue stripe has shown up on the diaper right now. Um, we are using mostly cloth diapers, just FYI, but the occasional disposable becomes a whole different game. So. Yes. We, uh, escape room styles, but escape the diapers. Totally. Yeah. We did uh, we did cloth um, for both of our kids, and we were very happy with uh, with how it turned out. It was it, it was certainly more work, certainly a little more a little more effort, but uh, we felt it was important, and we felt it was worth it. And it, the kids were the kids were happier. You know, they they, they needed yeah. they, they needed a change, and boom, hey, just change me, right? Don't don't let me sit in this. So, uh, I thought it was pretty yeah. great. Um, Absolutely. That's it for the news. That's all we got. Shall we get to games on the brain? I got a, I got a great ditty for you. Let's take a look. <laughs> oh, so good. So good. Now, Alfred, <laughs> since uh, I have to ask you, frequently like surprisingly frequently like not not mm-hmm. all the time but every once in a while there'll be somebody posting either on on Facebook or our Discord uh they'll be saying I would like you to play the old games on the brain theme yeah. from, OG edition yeah from I've time to time what do you, what do you think about that request <laughs> I mean I think it's wonderful I think you know people when they got into the the hobby much less our podcast they will glom on to certain things just the same way that when you are 14 or 13 years old and the first couple <laughs> music you listen on the radio will become the blueprint for the rest of your life of what is cool or what is happening. <laughs> and so, you know, some people have been stuck in hair metal days. Some people have been stuck in ridiculous, terrible <laughs> boy bands or hip hop or whatever it is, uh, particular varieties of, of things that happen to them at, at certain ages. So if that's the same way with the the OG edition of the games in the brain, that's great. And it should show up, especially when Trey's on or, you know. It's it's uh, a little less of Trey's voice in the new edition. Yep. yep, um, it's, yep. it's a little bit more mixed and a little bit more mastered, a little bit more to my what I would have you know done had it not been like an over the weekend immediate knee jerk thing that we did initially. Yeah. It's nice to see <laughs> things grow up, but it, it it is like watching the elves go off to their island at the end of Lord of the Rings, right? Like sometimes <laughs> you want want things to be in the world all resplendent. So I get it. I get it. So so you're so you're down with it being played from time to time. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. I'm, I'm, you know, whatever, whatever the the host is feeling on a particular day. If it's, if it's more of a, you know, of a little bit yell it from the rooftops, then the OG edition maybe is the way, right? Or if yeah. you want something a little bit more put together, um, some some fancy clothes on that on that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So the, I'm I'm down either way. I'm, I'm, Sounds I'm, great. I'm just happy to to hear it happening, right? You know, I'm just a great awesome. participant in this hot podcast. Love it. Then let's do it. Yay! <laughs> Games of the brain. These are games we like to play. These are games stuck on our brains. Oh, baby. Oh, my goodness. Uncut gems. (laughs) All right, Alfred, what is on your brain these days? Tell me. Yeah. So, yeah, I have kind of twofold, but just really quickly uh, Queen's Gambit. Queen's Gambit as yep. a show that was, you know, on Netflix now, the popularity is probably since left in 2020. Uh, but I found profoundly so many people come out of the woodwork wanting to pick up and push some squares. Yep. Yeah. And I thought it was so interesting that just a piece of kind of popular non-game centric, even though there's plenty of game in it, it, it doesn't really get into the finer aspects of what makes chess 
the kind of expression it is. It, it, you know, it, it deals with it in ancillary qualities and it certainly uses chess as a metaphor in wonderful ways. Yeah. But in terms of game in, 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 uh, in our TVs or on cinema, it, it's, it's incredible to see people reignite though towards that and the kind of the, the beautiful abstraction of a game. So I picked up and, and a few weeks ago played many a game with people who had never would have thought would have been up for that. And it made me yearn for that depth in in our in our side of the hobby I, I want more people to come in and give me these other experiences and kind of surprise me and so on the other side of that so there's queen's gambit on one side where it's just like this kind of cursory amount of people and a lot of them lost because they hadn't played in a long time they picked it up where they were learning sure and it was really cool to see them blundering into it on the other side i've been playing this russian railroads game since i reviewed it and i'd played a few times before that but since that review now many many months ago on the podcast i have 309 games in on board game arena and uh, my percentages are, are like around 60 percent win rate it's getting better basically i went through a long plateau period i can actually look it's amazing to look at the statistics that are available right like if you have a an upgraded account on bga you can see your your percentages and everything and i have this like long trophy period where i was pretty terrible like for every win i would get a loss and i was just losing uh losing ranking but now I'm kind of climbing up there a little bit. I'm going to tournament coming up later this month. And I just, I've never gone so deep on a game before. I've never gotten this many reps. I've never gotten to this level of nuance. And I really do feel like I'm only starting to play the game now. And right. it makes me think about games like chess and think about all the games we normally play and think I've never played any of these games. Like I might play it 10 times, but I don't feel like I've really gotten to the bottom of it like I have with Russian Railroads. And I don't even like Russian Railroads terribly. Like it isn't my... <laughs> It's just it's a game that I can I can do in 15 minutes. I can do in 12 minutes. Right. I can play a complete game. And for a midweight to, you know, mid medium heavy kind of game, that's that's, you know, that scratches a nice itch. So it's it's almost like well, that's it's become an abstract to me rather than a themed game for oh sure. God, that's why uh, the, that's why the, the really rich folks play Baccarat, by the way. Right. Mm. Baccarat is a game that has no skill whatsoever it's it's just luck but it's but they play it because the it has more hands per hour played than any other game so mm, they can, so they just zoom it yeah 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 so so like you're saying i could play it in 10 15 minutes so i don't i don't i don't love it it's not the game i would i would choose to play but it's because i could get the the reps in real quick and get a and get a full experience well I mean, I, not to not to disagree with you, and I, I do think that's important. But I, I think there is a different game that happens when you are playing um, without AP. Sure. And sure. I think part of that is that I had to go and get enough reps in that I could stop thinking, and I just kind of know intuitively what the right move was based on what point in the game and what was available. We don't have to get into how Russian Rose is played again, but it really does start to resemble chess to me again, mm. where you know it's like there's certain kind of like you get kind of board presence and there's like pushes between tactical or strategic thinking, but it is more just like, you know, there's, there's creative moves that are possible even in the mix of that. Although it's mostly pretty mechanical, right? Somebody does something, you react to it, or you're doing something, they react to it. There, it, it has that kind of aspect to it. And, and speed becomes an, uh, becomes something that's an important quality to it because if you let it go on too long, or if, even if you're playing um, like uh, non real time, play you lose a little something of just being really hyper focused and kind of seeing 10 moves ahead kind of thing gotcha well and interestingly you also are playing a lot of santorini which is chess-like in a lot of ways isn't it well but then with the god powers every time it really does feel like 
every like, time you you are just playing the god that that's in front of you, even though there is an aspect you can win without using those powers, and there is a no power mode, which is fun, even though it usually just gives a heavy. Uh, you get a heavy benefit whoever goes first. First player advantage, um, yeah, 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 huge. Uh, but yeah, no, you're absolutely right. With Santorini, it 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 has that aspect, and and although I got a chance to play with the creator of that game, he was on BGA. This was such like a random thing, but this was also kind of on my mind too. I was so in awe that the the person who designed the game just kind of slumming it with us normies, wow, and just playing their game, which you know kind of gives me joy that they're still discovering it i did beat them which i thought was kind of lucky on my part but you know also maybe the person who usually writes the song or creates the instrument isn't always the best uh musician let's say <laughs> so maybe they're they weren't they weren't at the top of their powers Come on, or on the leaderboard but it was awesome to have that experience to get that insight have a little chance to talk with them Come on, alfred you talk like you talk like the nice sweet gentleman but deep down you're an assassin all right you're an assassin you go in there and you show a person up on their own game that's what you do that's the way you play <laughs> it's it's important that we all want to win, right? Just to harken back to that previous episode topic, and we'll talk about this more yeah. I think, during my topic uh, later on this episode. It's really important that we want to win, and uh, maybe I've worked on that a little too hard compared to my earlier existence in the hobby. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Anything else on your uh, on your brain? No, I mean other than cyberpunk, which is not really sure. in this podcast. But yeah, between all those things, I've been really feeling a little renaissance. Of of that kind of the speed game, right? Put them under the clock, yes. see how they how they do. Well, on my brain, um, so I've been looking into happiness studies uh, uh, for for another purpose for for purposes having to do with um, writing and uh, coaching writing and teaching people how to write better and write faster, right? So so uh, when you start talking about how do you avoid um, uh, writer's block. You know how do you how do you how do you keep motivation up, and what are other things that you can do in that? Right, happiness kind of gets into that because it it, it really is. Um, how do you how do you trigger behavior without dopamine and and, and those sorts of things? Um, interestingly, they were talking about how uh, buying spending money on things does not generate as much happiness as spending money on experiences. Right, and spending money on experiences doesn't generate as much joy and as much happiness as spending money and planning an experience because you're actually getting two to three times more happiness because you're future casting the happiness you're going to have in the planning of it, and then you have that experience, and then you and, and then you have that uh, that joy too. Um, and I was thinking about that, and I am starting to future cast now. I'm starting to future cast when we are able to sit at a table together and game again. Now, it is unfortunate that I am not talking about you. <laughs> because, I mean, eventually I'll be talking about you. About yeah, you but, yeah. but for me, I, I think maybe more than most, I'm, I, I, have, I don't really love the online game. Uh, gaming experience I, I feel a particular loss in comparison to face-to-face um yeah. and, I, and i've said that before and so i've just been starting to build up some joy future casting six months nine months down the road when i can have people over for a game night again and sitting in front of them and i'm deriving a significant amount of joy over it and i'm what's on my brain is what is the first game back 
Now, obviously, it's Avalon, but what is the first actual game <laughs> back? Like, <laughs> how do you do it? What do you What do you do? What do you pick? Do you do you go for comfort food first? Do I bring out something like Agricola, right? Because it's just one of those absolute classics that is just going to feel like home and all that sort of stuff. Do I go with something that is more player interactive? Because really, I want to be playing with people, right, and not staring at the board. So do I pick something like Dune, right, or something along those lines? Do I go really old? Do I want something that's just fun in a box? You know, do I want something like Kremlin, something really like old school and just quirky and funny? And I don't have an answer yet. I don't know. But maybe that's a can question. I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, can I just give a little a little offering, a little off- – and this might even cue into giving you a little bit more of that future forecast yeah. kind of fun. You know, given that it's going to be a couple months – you can start to imagine using our own game on the brain uh, kind of news metrics, the game, the new hotness that will be arrived then. Mm. And it being game brain, we wouldn't, we, you know, if we weren't playing the the new, the, the kind of cutting edge, the bleeding edge, yeah. it may. <laughs> so I wouldn't be surprised if some heavy hitter that we esteem so much has something that's just announcing or just on the verge, just playable by the time we all get together, the time you, you all get together, I should say. Yeah. And, uh, I, w- you know, in the mix, right? I wouldn't, you know, it's great. Agricola, these other kind of games, awesome. And I think those are great uh, places to kind of imagine. But I also can equally see the new the newness being high on that list as being something. And then, again, something you can start to even start to read the rule book over, drool at. And uh, between yourself, Maddie, and everybody else who likes that new new. Yep. It's going to be amazing to hear you all. That's a good point. That's a good point. I, I think we normally do that, but I just, yeah. Something about me is just saying that for that first one, for the mm-hmm. first game back, I don't want to. I don't want to risk playing something I haven't played yet, right? Even if I know the rules, even if I'm ready to teach it, I want that first experience to be something that can't go wrong. You know, something that so. You know, well, if it can't go wrong, there should be roads and boats. Clearly, oh, I love it. <laughs> I do that, we, love it. <laughs> that we couldn't get to the couldn't get to the board. <laughs> I believe the moment I pull roads and boats out and set it up on my game table here, I believe an earthquake happens in Los Angeles. I'm pretty yes, sure. That's yes, exactly. So, yeah, just setting yourself up. For, so, for more. <laughs> you know, it's you know that's two times that's happened, right? <laughs> I set it up another that, time. Exactly. There was another yeah, minor it, earthquake. It's, yeah, it's uh, a. <laughs> It's the cursed game. It you know has to do with the uh, the plexi, right? The plexi has yes. built-in uh, evil spirits, so you have to maybe yes. you have to do a thing about that. And then get, get rid of it. I'll I got some sage. I'll start burning it immediately. I'll take care Perfect. of it. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's what's a game on a game on my brain. Pretty much is just trying to figure that out. Maybe you guys have some ideas. If you do, you know, talk to us on Discord. Talk to us on Facebook. What game? is going to be your first game back when you guys are, are, are together and playing. I don't know. Maybe you're, maybe you're in New Zealand and you're already playing together. Maybe you're in a really tight uh, a COVID bubble and you're playing together. But uh, if you're not, mm-hmm. if, you're like, if, you're, if you're like us, where we're all on our, on our own little islands in a lonely archipelago, um, <laughs> help, us, uh, help us figure out what, uh, what, what's the perfect game for us to come back together and play. And with that, Let's move on to the review. Tale of the Tape, Brass Birmingham, is 
kind of a game from 2018, but it's also a game Mm -hmm. from 2007 when the original Brass came out. That has been renamed Brass Lancashire now, Uh, and Brass Birmingham is a further iteration. It's very much the same game with some new nuances, some things taken out, some things put in, but very much still the same game. The designers of this game are Gavin Brown, Matt Tolman, and of course, the original designer, Martin Wallace. The artists are Lena Cosette, David Forrest, and Damien Mamolti. Mamoliti, sorry. Mamoliti. Sorry Mm -hmm. about that, Damien. And the publisher is Phalanx Games. The setting of both of these games is uh, the period from 1770 to 1870, the birth of the Industrial Revolution, right at the heart of where it it, it began, which is essentially the... West Midlands and the Northwest Midlands of England. Interesting mm-hmm. fact. Interesting fact, because uh, I'm going to ask you to sort of describe the game in a second. But I was looking at the maps this morning, and do you realize that uh, how close these? You probably do because you've toured in these areas, you've performed in these areas. But the southernmost location on the Lancashire map is only 13 miles from the northernmost location on the Birmingham map. They literally, you could put those two maps together and you're skipping nothing. There's like a little forest in between them. That's it. It's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And considering that the Industrial Industrial Revolution exploded all that, and including with toxic gases and whatnot, that was such a tight space to draw people from formerly farming uh, into that, yeah, that what changed um, changed the world at that moment in time. So, Alfred, why don't you tell people, what is Brass Birmingham? How do you play it? What's it like? So, first and foremost, I should just state that Brass Birmingham, I think we should say something about, like, the BCU. It's the Brass Cinematic Universe that we are now <laughs> dealing in because it really does feel like this game, much like... Uh, some of our uh, of our other esteemed games is kind of a, a, a game set, right? There's a set of rules yes. and, a, and a kind of way it can it can be wielded. And so, just to to mark this one as being um, kind of similar to, to previous Brass, um, I, I will say that it is not your uh, typical build rails. It isn't some 18xx. No. It, it is not a game simply of economic development. It is something a little more nuanced, and it really is a mixture of card of placement yep. Yep. and of resource management in a beautiful, delirious, and and somewhat um, it, it, it difficult to grok uh, kind of kind of balance. Stew, um, yes. We could, yeah, we could go into the 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 kind of the the specific specifics, but your eyes are drawn towards the uh, resources of coal and iron as they are. Uh, like constantly in flux between what the markets have available and what the board uh, is is kind of next generating, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so to speak. And then equally, you are thinking, uh, you have to think about what is in the hand, what cards are available. And, and I, I know we'll get into this more because it is m- m- like completely uh, merciless uh, that you <laughs> want to do something, but you will be unable to. <laughs> There will be yes. <laughs> your optimum move will be just out of out of reach, or it will be a turn away. And by that time that turn comes around, somebody else will have built, will have taken, will have made your uh, your perfect play a little bit less possible. And so it, this game requires flexibility and re- requires just a little bit of luck. I will offer if sure, yeah, I, I mean in in the sense that 
in the sense that it requires planning and it requires an ability to do something different when those plans inevitably will get dashed, right? Yeah, and and there there is it is a narrower passage than it uh, initially presumes. You will see a board full of available spaces, tons of options, and 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 things are relatively cheap, and you have this huge amount of money, and it's like all all there. And then by the time it gets to be your turn, that narrow corridor or canal or railroad, as we might say, has has winnowed, winnowed down your ideas into something that is you're kind of making uh, lemons out of the lemonade. Um, yeah. Wait, other way around. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You're making lemons out of lemonade would be quite a trick. That'd be a really interesting one. Well, it kind of, I mean, I, I am kind of partially serious in the sense that you have all this possibility. You feel like you have all this sweetness. And then when it comes down to it, you're just like, oh, well, I actually can't do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I can't, I can't build my, my perfect, um, you know, clay pot, not clay pot, my, not lamp. Um, oh gosh, what is that resource that we didn't actually use in our first pottery. game? Pottery. It's pottery. Pottery. Yeah. Pottery. Where yes. like these huge outcomes, you see the numbers on the, on the, on the tiles and it's like all this money that you'll generate all this kind of optimum resource kind of thing. And, uh, and that might just totally, you know, be in your hand. It might be there and then somebody else jumps in or those, those opportunities go away. There is just that kind of distance. So you just are doing the best with what you got. Absolutely. Uh, One of the things I find really interesting about the game is how wonderfully thematic it is. You start off with a blank board that just has cities and towns of this fairly small area of England on it. And over the course of the first half of the game, you're going to be building canals. Why are you building canals? Well, because you're going to be building, for instance, uh, cotton mills, right? And those cotton mills have engines in them, right? They have machines in them, and those machines need to be powered by coal. And that coal is big and heavy, and it needs to be floated from the coal mines down to your down to your mills or making manufactured goods or making pottery. Any one of those things, you're going to need that. In addition, you're going to need to build those machines at those locations. So you're going to need ironworks to make those specialized machines and bring those things to you. And then halfway through the game, at exactly the halfway point, mm-hmm. we leave the 18th century and the early days, and we enter the rail era. We enter the, the mid-19th century when the canals uh, fell into disuse and were essentially discarded because trains and track were being laid all over the land and we literally see these cities going from these tiny little bergs to these blossoming you know places of business and industry it's uh, really yeah I, i think that in terms of a board that builds from nothing to something this one just feels more thematic than most I would say that would be absolute, and especially the fact that it has real geography. It isn't some fantasy geography. Um, it does completely negate the human aspect of this. These are just these these icons and these uh, these kind of uh, pathways that we make. But I will say that the the point system feels really um, interesting in that kind of push and pull where you are taking loans and you are. Um, in, in a lot of ways, this economic game plays out similar to other economic games. You are taking loans and you are making your income wheel, but that doesn't necessarily totally correlate to your end points. There, there is an aspect of it, but there are kind of dual tracks that are going on. Unlike some games where the money is the points, Correct. this isn't quite that thing. Yeah, th- this is not. Uh, th- this is a game in which more most of your points will come from what you have built, and th- th- and at the end of the game, your income means nothing. 
your income yeah. really does mean uh, mean nothing. It's a means to uh, to achieve victory. It is not a victory condition in and of itself, which makes it different than Age of Steam, which is another Martin Wallace game mm-hmm. system more than game, just like just like this one is. Um, I, I will. I'll dispute you in the slightest possible fashion. I totally agree that once you've played the cost, playing brass does seem to ignore the human cost of this industrial revolution, except for the art. So we should just talk about the art of this new edition is stunning and a little polarizing, too. Um, the, the board has two sides. It has a lighter side and a darker side. Um, the online implementation plays on the darker side, and I do think the darker side is the bolder choice. It is literally this part of the country on the Birmingham map is called the Black Country, right? And it is super, super dark. The, the map seems to be designed to look like you're peering down at a map through a fog of choking coal dust, mm-hmm. right? Which is kind of, re- and the art as well doesn't shy away from that. It's smokestacks belching out things, and it's not, there's nothing bucolic in the art and in the design of it. It's very industrial, almost steampunk. I mean, it, the art looks like I'm playing a Dracula game to some degree, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. And it's- apt i mean it's very apt for what the human cost was so in that way even if we don't see a figure they're able to evoke that that period i think really well especially in it's like looking back it isn't just uh you know it's more robber baron than it is bold captains of industry of this new new burgeoning industry right exactly exactly so on uh, on any given turn, you are going to play a card, right? You want to talk about uh, talk about that and then some of the general things we can do on our turns. I mean, I can talk about it to a certain degree, but this is again, this is a place where I didn't grok it at first. Sure, so sure. I think you're going to be able to talk about the nuance. But yeah, right. in your hand, you will have a, a, a series of cards or just cards that either represent uh, kind of one of three types. At essence, you have one that have to do with the cities in particular on the map. You have one kind of card that has to do with the industries that are on the map, and then you have wilds, which you can get through uh, a significant action on your turn, to, and that unlocks uh, all kinds of possibilities, but it really it does have a punitive cost in terms of kind of a wasted beat, and there is only so many turns you're going to take in this game, right? There's only so many cards in your hand, and... Um, each uh, action costs a card no matter what you're doing, no matter if you're taking a loan or if you're building a canal, uh, things that aren't necessarily associated with a a specific city or industry, you still have to burn a card. And so you can kind of constantly with your hand of eight or seven, depending um, you are, you are finding yourself always again, like, Oh, well maybe I wanted to use that card. Actually, Ben, who we played with last night um, where we finished a game yesterday with, uh, had that particular moment of regret that he had used a card in a place that he would have not have he would have wanted to use use it later. He kind of needed that card later, but um, an earlier action feel, felt uh, it couldn't quite forecast that he was going to get there at that time. So there was that kind of feeling of always just a little bit uh, risk involved yes. in what you're going to be and using. Don't cry for Ben. He won. All right. 174 he pulled it out. It to great. 173, which, which, which says good things about the design, right? This is a game in, 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 where you are fighting every single round, every single moment, and at the end of the game, it can still come down to a, a whisper, to a hair's breadth difference between uh, one player's score and another player's score. really is phenomenal. Uh, in the original Brass Lancashire, there are five industries. There is cotton, cotton mills, ironworks, coal mines, 
ports, and shipyards. In Birmingham, there are six. The cotton, iron, and coal are the same, but now we introduce a few more industries, manufactured goods, pottery, and breweries. Ports are gone from the game. Shipyards are gone, though pottery and shipyards are somewhat equivalent. They basically turned shipyards into a different, slightly different mechanic that does a very similar thing. Shipyards and pottery are sort of these things that are big, big, big scoring things, but you have to do a lot of development actions to get through that. Development actions are a very, very interesting concept. On your turn, you can build, which means take any of those tiles and put them on the board. It's going to have a certain cost. That cost is both going to be money and oftentimes is going to require iron or even coal. Now, coal is a tricky bit of business. Iron basically is an ironworks builds a machine for you and they put it on a, a truck or a wagon and they wheel it over, to, you know, they, they wheel it over to your business and set it up. And they can do that anywhere at any time. But coal, if you have a building that needs coal, you need a lot of coal. So you have to be connected to a coal source. So somebody has to have built a coal mine and you have to have a either a rail line in the second half of the game or a uh, a canal in the first half of the game to connect to it. Or you can connect off-board. There are several off-board locations that you can connect to, and then you can buy coal from the neighboring areas. In fact, one of the neighboring areas for this game is one of the main areas of the other game. So <laughs> they, it's interesting in the way that they put that together. So that that's the first thing you can do. You can, uh, build, a build, you can build a building, but oftentimes you're going to need to have a canal in place first in order to do that. But then development is another action you can do. And development is basically taking thing, taking tiles off of your board and essentially discarding them and throwing them out of the game. Why would you want to do that? Burn and turn. Yeah, yes. burn and turn. Is a, why, a do you want, why do you want to do that, Alfred? Why would you want to throw away your own industries? And this is, you know, the game takes a little bit of study to know this. I think the right points to, to be pulling that trigger but there is an aspect where it isn't just a linear progression of buildings or industries. You will notice that if you look carefully at the board in front of you um, or one or two, you would see that some of the industries give you huge rewards and some of them give you uh, maybe further off, um, like further possibilities of end game scoring. Yeah. And maybe at that moment you need those points uh, immediately to kind of get your engine going. And maybe at this point you're, you are trying to build your end of the game point salad going. So this gives you the option of taking, removing um, the, the next available set of tiles uh, to kind of get to the unlocked possibility. Now, in when the aforementioned pottery, the further along you are in the pottery track, generally speaking, the more points you're going to get. But then there's these like moments like the, the, the penultimate pottery uh, industry that you can build is actually worth zero points. Isn't that correct? Or something crazy? I think right? one. It's worth one lousy yeah. point. So nothing costs a ton, but it's worth one. So if you can burn it and get to the next degree, um, then that's worth 20 points. So, yeah. you know, you can start to see where, and each of these, each of these industries is like that. It isn't, um, they, they're all the same, but they are all uneven in this way. Uh, Correct. Of, of the progression. Yeah. Um, actually in, in Lancashire, it's a little simpler in that every one of those five industries in Lancashire, 
the level one is worth less points than level two, and level two is worth less points than level three. Level three mm-hmm. is worth less points. So by developing, you're getting to the higher scoring tiles earlier, and you're putting them out on the board earlier. In Birmingham, the only difference is that manufactured goods and pottery, two of the categories, do not have that linear progression. They are, have a varying progression and manufactured goods in particular are very very interesting in that sometimes some levels of manufactured goods require a lot of beer to be able to sell Mm -hmm. and and that is a huge penalty but the reward for that is much higher than normal too and we should talk about beer too because beer is this new resource that functions like coal and like iron in this (laughs) maddening degree for me as a first-time player where it is it is absolutely essential to kind of make a sales strategy go, and, and that's obviously another action that we'll talk about. And but it also is uh, very needful in its in its kind of they build it into the game in this really uh, insidious and insightful way to kind of create this extra dimension of resource that is necessary. It almost all moves, and yourself and Ben did a really good job of building out stores of beer to which I think it really gave you oodles of points and also made lots of your strategies possible yeah um though strangely you were the person that built the most things to ship you well that's the thing is that i i was i was kind of lost in the lack and you guys were providing so so opulently and that's one aspect of this game is that when you build a resource on the it is a shared resource on the board yeah you're connected to it you can use it but every you know the person who owns it benefits when it gets all the resources taken off of it. This is a very key thing that does separate this game from other resource um, generating. You might build something and it isn't just yours. It's then pooled with the other players and you actually want them. You're goading them into using it. There's even rules about proximity that means that that the player might have to use your resource before they use maybe the the uh, the bank's resource, so to speak. Precisely right. Let's talk about that next. I just want to say one more thing about the development yeah. action, which is an interesting point, which is uh, in Birmingham, everything starts off at level one industry. And the reason that level one industry might not be the best thing in the world to put on the map is that when we move from the canal era to the rail era, the entire second half of the game, every level one industry comes off the board. Anything that you've built is just wiped away. It is useless now. It is obsolete, and nobody would do anything with that anymore. If you have built in that first half of the game level two industries or higher, those remain on the board for the rest of the game. That's great for two reasons. Reason number one is that those points that you score for that are going to score twice. The victory points on that flipped tile are going to score once at the end of the canal phase and then once at the end of the game, which is which basically you're getting double points for anything that you do like that. The second reason is, is that it, when the second half of the game begins, we pull off not only all level one tiles on the entire board, but we pull off all of the canals. So it's like we're starting over again, right? And the only things, the only infrastructure that is down on the board are level two and higher industries that we've been able to build in the first half of the game. And it's not easy. It is it is difficult. I think we did a very good job, particularly good job. I think we had five or six or even seven uh, tiles on the board each. And that is, mm-hmm. that is particularly high. I mean, it, certainly in, in Lancashire, 
I've played games where people were struggling to have one industry that remained on the on the board to, for the second round. So it can be <laughs> it can be a very tricky game in that in that sense. But now let's get on to what you were what you were talking about, which is the fact that all of these every industry has its own special rule to some degree, right? And breweries mm-hmm. in particular are a nasty piece of business. Birmingham, <laughs> Lancashire didn't have uh, didn't have breweries. Basically, what you would do is you would build cotton, and you would ship it to a port. You would connect it to a port. Somebody, somebody, you or somebody else would build a port, and whenever you did a shipping action, which was an action and took one of your two actions in a turn, uh, you would be able to flip as many cotton as you wanted to, as long as you could also flip ports. Um, flipping things is how they score. So when you build them, they are unflipped and they sit there just waiting to be able to flip over. Uh, to flip cotton, manufactured goods, or pottery, what you need to do is you need to do a sell action. And you need to be connected to a place that will accept that type of good uh, in order to sell it. Iron, coal, and breweries flip in a very different way. When you build an iron, uh, when you build an ironworks, you are going to put a number of iron on top of that tile, uh, and that is equal to what, what it, it shows you on the symbol. It's a, put on three, put on four, put on five, whatever. If there is available, if there is iron in the market that has not been uh, that has been expen- spent and is uh, you know what I'm saying, Alfred. Uh, if there's yes. if there's unused <laughs> if there's spaces available for iron on the market, you can immediately put your iron onto the market you're going to make that money and you're going to be closer to flipping that tile same thing with coal uh if you're connected to a (laughs) coal has to always be connected to something to do anything iron does not and uh the the thing with breweries is that breweries act like iron for you personally and they act like coal for everybody else which means to say if i have a brewery that's not connected to anything I can still get that beer barrel, and I can use that. If you want to use my brewery, you have to be connected to it, right? Yep. Ugh. And uh, that is not a small thing in this game. Of <laughs> there, unlike some other uh, other kind of uh, railroad building games, or you know, in this case, canals and railroads, there is only one person at a time in a lane. Even though there's multiple ins and outs from the cities. Uh, generally, what, like two or three, sometimes four in terms of Birmingham. Uh, There's four ins and outs. But once that is built, you are not going through it. You're not building there. And so there is a lot of mini races that are happening. Who's going to build a a given factory on on sometimes what is only one available space? Who's going to connect to coal, the outside ports, which sometimes only have one or two ins, too? And then, um, yeah, who's going to, especially later in the game when you can do these kind of big uh, multiple track railroads, Having first player becomes gigantic as you are the first person to opt into uh, what is critical building that can get you almost all of your points, as we witnessed, because it's a huge point get. Which we haven't talked about. We haven't talked about turn order and how amazing turn order is in this game. What determines turn order, Alfred? Yeah, it's whoever spends the least. So unlike some games where, you know, you get rich rewards for your rich spending, this one, your your spendthriftness – uh, maybe very English. Maybe the most English aspect of this game <laughs> is is a prized commodity, and uh, and yeah, you you kind of get this. Yeah, you go first, and so you you know maybe the way it's way worked out often in our game, and the way you used it very well um, 
Tom was sometimes Tom was going third in our three player game and could kind of see how everyone else was spending big and just come in just a little bit less and then get a huge four action turn because then they would go first in the next round. And so yes. kind of generate these gigantic, gigantic turns of four, four actions rather than thinking of them as being two, um, two, two action turns. And ladies and gentlemen, that's how you get second place. It is one of the reasons we're reviewing it is that Heavy Cardboard came out with their uh, sort of poll or list of their top heavy games of all time. And Brass Birmingham is their number one game of all time. And I believe Brass Lancashire is in their top five as well. I think it's three or four or something like that i believe i put uh, i think our our own um reckoning had brass at 15 number 15 of our uh, of our best games of all time and for me i think personally i think i put it in my top five uh it is a amazing it's an amazing design and i have to say gavin brown and and matt tolman did an amazing job in taking lancashire and making it different but the same. When I first played Birmingham, I wasn't sure if I was going to like it as much as like as Brass. Brass Lancashire used to just be called Brass. I wasn't sure that I would like this new fangled thing. And the more I'm playing it, the more I realize it's not a replacement of the game. But what it does do is that if you're a veteran Brass Lancashire player, there are certain assumptions you walk in with. You walk in with the assumption that uh, development actions are really important. You want to quickly develop through those level one industries and get to level two as quickly as you can and put a priority on that. Birmingham, not so much. The, the value of those level one industries are quite high. The, what they do for your economy by upping your income is quite high. So suddenly, the decision to just junk all of this level one stuff isn't so cut and dry. And even though those industries are completely temporary and are going to disappear and be worth nothing for the latter half of the game, it might still be a better use of your time and your money and your efforts to build some of those things, which is really, really interesting. So they, they did a great job of looking at what the Lancashire design was and to just zig a little bit, just zag a little bit, just make it so that the... The autoplays, the things that were taken for granted with Lancashire, made were made into to much more difficult choices in this version. I, I'm thoroughly enamored of both versions. Uh, I, I I think Heavy Cardboard is dead on right. These are two of the very best heavy games that have that have ever been made, and probably I think it's something that you brought up, Alfred, which is that they're economic games in which. Uh, the the winner it has nothing to do with money, right? Well, in some ways, it's it's the kind of classic conundrum of you want to rev your engine really hot, but then you need to figure out how to pivot out of that, or just to know that that isn't the value there, right? So, and I think this reminds me of games that I've heard Trey talk of previously as being really esteemed, where they really enjoy that kind of that delicate dance going. I'm sure much of the game brain podcast crew enjoy that kind of moment of inflection just like a lot of the 18xx that we all love so much you just get this like you have to rev it just hot enough but know when to switch gears know when to really put it into the actual value yep and so you know you might be building and building and building getting all this money which unlocks of course all these possibilities but if you're the one spending you're going last 
you're not necessarily getting the best uh, placement. You're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. So you have to just know how to just get that balance right. And part of that is, is taking the right amount of loans. Now, this is something I avoided taking loans, not, you know, and and I think Paul talked about this in a previous podcast. Sometimes we're just some of these built-in pathologies in ourselves. Like I just don't like debt in general. Oh yeah. Even if it's gamified. And so suddenly it becomes this thing. I have to kind of readdress that in my mind of the right times to take loans. Cause y'all took loans. You and Ben took loans several times and did obviously very well for it in our game. There is, and you even kind of rude that you did it once. Yes. Am, I, am I correct in that? You were like if, a little bit like, ah, oh, maybe I shouldn't have taken that loan. You were making lots of money. If I did anything but, other than take that last loan, I would have won the game uh, fairly, oof, fairly handily. Interesting. It was. It was. Yeah. I, I looked back and I realized I didn't need that money at all, and so it was a completely wasted action. And, and a wasted action mm-hmm. at that point in in the game when I have an, a fairly good. Uh, manufacturing engine built up uh, that's that's a lot of points left on the board but i mean obviously with one point difference if you just built a single <laughs> thing or how to yeah but yeah it, i can only imagine yeah that's a that's a so yeah that's the the revving the engine at the right time versus taking your finger your foot off the gas is is huge in that dance and um it is very satisfying to know that money doesn't make the total world go round at least in this simulation yeah, I, I agree with that. I never thought about it in those terms, but I think you're absolutely right. Um, it is a very thinky game, all right? This is, a, yeah. this is a game that you have to take into account so many things. You have a hand of cards that, that do significantly limit what you can do, right? Uh, the, the cards really only limit where you can build. That's really the only thing that they do. Most of the other actions, any card can be discarded for that. But where you build and where you go are, is a crucial decision in the game. So choosing what card to play, super important. There are basically six, five or six different actions you can take from building industry to building canals or, or trains to uh, developing to selling goods you know, and so on and so forth. Uh, there's a lot of little things you can you can do. Deciding which of those actions to take is super important. And then when you add onto that the fact that turn order is determined by the money spent each round, figuring out can I can I do the things I want to do in such a way that I'm spending slightly less than my opponent so that I can go first next turn so that I can take this other really important action that I'm really afraid one of them is going to do first. It adds up to a lot. It is a very, very mm. thinky, very, very difficult uh, a, a game to master. One of the reasons it's such an amazing game to play once you get into it. But I think you can, uh, you know, Alfred, you would you would say that that you know you're going to get roughed up a little bit your first time through. Yeah, I mean, especially with knowing intimately the ladder, the uneven ladder you have to climb with the industries, and how there are certain advantages or disadvantages depending on not just the. Um, the kind of board state as it develops, but the just the, the built-in aspects of each industry. Yes. And so I'm sure people who have had multiple gameplays really know that, okay, well, I'm being crowded out of this industry. I need to pivot towards X, Y, or Z, or I can see how we're going to get to a blockage of coal in the future. I have my, my ways and my availability to, to make that easier for myself and harder for someone else. So there is just enough knife fight. There's just enough decision and there's just enough randomness, to be fair, with those cards where you may be holding uh, an initially what seems to be a bum set of cards, but you can really, you can you can uh, turn the course of that of that canal boat um, to some degree <laughs> enough so that you can get outcomes that that favor your position. I, I believe, and 
you know, it must be the case because people playing this at a very high level and they, they can probably do that without even much thought. Um, just kind of know the lay of the land without too much AP. Yeah. Although I will say that this game has, for all of its slimness and seemingly like kind of fast turns, there's a lot of AP possible. Obviously, there's a lot of things to take in and it's, you know, maybe knowing exactly the right moment to, to, to turn is such a big decision that you can't be taken lightly. I, yeah, I believe that this is a, this is the kind of game where even if you're a tremendously experienced player, you, you're going to have to take a moment. When it's your turn to go, um, uh, often enough, mm-hmm. if anybody has done something that changes the one plan that you had, you're going to have to do some, consider- some, some consideration using all of the elements that we both just talked about in order to come up with a plan for what you do with these two actions that you have in this turn. Uh, as one side note, Martin Wallace is known, I, I think one of the things Martin Wallace is best at in his designs is creating interesting loan mechanisms. His oeuvre mm. his is horrible, horrible loans. <laughs> I think <laughs> the way he designs his games, which is like, oh, you, you want to take, you need, you need some money for this? No problem. Just take a loan. Yeah, no problem. All right. Now there's a new phase for the rest of the game, which is I kick you in the teeth. <laughs> All right. Oh, I mean, you have two loans. This one, this, two kicks. I mean, this this particular teeth kicking though is not as bad as some of their others, and that's, I think that's part of the elegance of the game is that it it really does it has all the markings of an economic game, but without. The punitiveness, the like, you know, you are in or out, you have automatically lost some of these things that are exist in other games. If you are in debt, this game kind of is just like, okay, you're in debt, but you're not going to be in a turn or two. Like, that's exactly what I was going to say. I think that this game is different than the other Martin Wallace games in that, in that he does still come up with a great way to make loans punishing, which is that you you take thirty bucks and you drop down three levels of income, and when you climb up income you climb up the little spaces when you drop down income you drop down the big spaces so you're dropping down 10 spaces or things like that uh which is which is interesting but it is but it is a game that in a lot of games be beware the martin wallace loan offer in this game <laughs> in this game do not beware it in this game it is it is designed where you're going to need to do it and and i think part of that is historical it is these industries came up from uh, from heavy investment. Uh, there's a quote on the uh, on the Lancaster box, which is something like, "I have nothing, you have nothing, he has nothing. Together, we have a factory." Right? And I think that's a <laughs> quote from the period, uh, which is yeah. kind of really interesting. Um, so I can't recommend recommend this more highly. This is, like I said, I think it's in my, it's definitely in my top twenty. I think it may be even in my top five. It is an amazing, amazing game, and I highly recommend that people that are into the to the heavier uh, end of games should absolutely try Brass Birmingham and uh, and try Brass Lancashire because they're both phenomenal games. Uh, I would say that if you've never played either of them, I would start with Lancashire. Lancashire is mm-hmm. a slightly cleaner, slightly simpler. Um, the nuance of Birmingham is not your friend in your you know first ten fifteen plays, and they're both such amazing games that you're not missing out on anything by not starting with Birmingham, right? I do really feel like this is one of those necessary games. If you find yourself to be on this end of the board game spectrum, where you want the heavier or even the middle, I think both games, but this game especially, like I mean, having this this limited exposure, but just it it really pushes those buttons of difficult decisions. And just enough variation that I could see playing this many, many times and having really different outcomes and exploring all the different industries and all the different ways that they show up. So 100%. I, I, 
I absolutely agree with you. I, I will say for those of you out there who who just economic games are a particular joy, this may not push all your buttons. This may not be economic enough. Maybe you want to be more in your 18xx. There's plenty of online um, possibilities. Just like with Brass, there is a Brass implementation that you can find. Um, what was that website again that I never got successfully to work? Oh, Order of the Hammer. <laughs> yes, Order of the Hammer allows you to play Brass Lancashire um, asynchron- asynchronously. There you go. Awesome. And, but you also can find it on Tabletopia. Yep. Uh, so those of you who are interested in getting uh, busy with this game kind of immediately, if you can't find a, a copy uh, at your FLGS, then... Um, yeah, you should dip your toes because it is a joy. It may not push all your buttons. It may be a little too random in some ways. You may be looking for more asymmetrical powers. This is not that game. This is that brutal dust-up of do the right thing at the right time or pay all the consequences. And for 18xx players, it's not an 18xx experience, but you can still make your friends yeah. cry, and we know that that's why you play these <laughs> games. Um, that's it for that. Let's get to the member-specific segment. Let's talk about refreshing the player pool. Alfred, take it away. Absolutely. I was uh, so inspired by a previous segment um, on the on the, the pod that dealt with competition, and uh, I find it that I, I have a, a fight within myself, something that has been brought up by the, the hobby, where that killer instinct or the competitive attitude wasn't built into me. I didn't grow up uh, with a sporting kind of mindset and certainly music, which is how I've made my ends for the majority of my life. Competition is a very funny thought. You know, in some aspects, you, you do want to do do better or well or show up on lists or be bought, but it, it isn't really the thing where it is exactly competitive with the person to the left or right of you. It's much more group group think. Yeah. And there's certainly games for that. But generally speaking, our board game hobby is built on this idea that everybody at that table wants to win. And if anyone abdicates that role, you um, you're missing something from the experience. There's just some aspect to which we all are poorer for it. And, that kind of reminded me of this aspect to which there is a certain interest in keeping the hobby a little bit narrow and conservative in terms of who's at the table then, who's competing with us, who are, who is to the left of us and who's to the right of us and how much we want all of us to be kind of winning, so to speak. Right. Does right. that make sense? The competition aspect, just kind of take that metaphor a step further. And I really want to see everyone experience this hobby. And I think we're all evangelists for this. You know, we know maybe just because of the Game Brain podcast, I've been reminded that there is a game for everyone. I really believe that. Oh yeah. And, you know, it may not be it may not be the heaviest euro, it may not be all the things that the the hottest newness that we talk about, but something in this in this mix is not Candyland, is not Monopoly, is something more elegant, more beautiful, less um, random and punitive and uh, much more built for that kind of competition. And just in that same way, I really believe there is a game for every kind of expression of personhood as well. Um, sure. I've never felt the need to uh, kind of be a certain way among my gaming group. I feel very accepted by all of y'all. And I, I love that that feeling of just being kind of pure in the competition, um, the kind of levers and pulleys that are available in an elegant rule system means that I don't have to be in my body. I don't have to have an embodied experience, right? It can be very much that heady space that is free from, let's say, gender in my case. Sure. Or free from a lot of these these kind of uh, personhood things that I 
I have then also been allowed to be more free in myself. But I will say certain games push that button more than others. Certain games are less about being kind of reminded about who you are. And some games are, are harder to grok in that fashion. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I want I, I want to, can you give me a concrete example of what what games are harder? Is it is it that there are, there are games that put you more in your, you know, that confront your personhood more and there are games that do so less or... The, the that, that thing exactly, yeah, that thing exactly. Something, um, and sometimes it has to do with things that are, are have total arbitrary kind of uh, quirks of, of each person's experience. And other things are just about like the the, the aspect to which you are uh, put into the kind of headspace of being a warlord or a king or um, interesting or a queen or, you know, much rarely, much more rarely a queen or much more yeah. rarely... Uh, these kind of expressions of other aspirations. It's, you know, we're dealing in a world of competition and oftentimes in a lot of games that competition expresses itself in the very base manner of I'm going to kill you. Uh, I am a soldier on a board. I am pushing this button and I am doing that thing. That's kind of that kind of, exp and now obviously a lot of modern games get away from that, but a lot of these kind of ancient uh, or the earlier games really explore that dynamic, right? The kind of the fantasy aspect of, well, yeah, I, I believe. What, yeah, yeah, I, I believe that before there was a Euro game hobby, there was a war game hobby, and the and the yeah. the beginnings of hobby gaming was uh, was you know the standard was held by by war gamers, and because of that, we you know there is there's always going to be that aspect there, uh, you know, and and for some people that's great, and they're going to be able to access that well, and for others uh, it, it's it's going to be a block, it's going to be a stopping point for them in some ways, right? Potentially, right? And I think part of that has to do with the game space that is both implied in the games themselves and what ways we can you know, I don't want to. I don't want to see the the previous world modified. I want us to see the kind of possibility of opening up with what's coming because we are about the new hotness. We're about the newness, and yeah. I love looking at the classic games and kind of seeing the 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 ways to which they are um, have done so well and informed uh, informed the future. But I am maybe just by nature of being in our particular game group and and always being buffeted by that that new wave. Um, I love the fact that we can see the iterations already happening, games that echo uh, of previous games and kind of push things forward. And so part of this is, you know, trying to make this kind of statement towards uh, what has been in terms of just like some of that, some of that difficulty I have, I've had personally in finding myself in some of these older games, but way more esteeming the kind of possibilities that we see from what we what we all kind of regard as being great games and how they can kind of center a lot of different representation a lot of different language in gaming and even just find all these different ways to to explore that um going forward i, I love that and i can see more and more people coming to the table for that reason i can see more and more people at, at the at the conventions and kind of getting involved in the hobby and even more importantly getting involved in designing the games and pushing this forward, we're seeing an explosion, a renaissance. I think we all can attest to the renaissance that's happening in our hobby, right? Like, oh yeah, never before has this been more popular. Never before has this been more possible. And so much of that is about a diversity of voices and a diversity of ways that shows up in the games. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And yet yeah. it's and yet growing pains, right? And yet we're still yeah. we're still being confronted by certain certain facts that our game, our hobby is still 
largely male and largely white male, um, and that the designers are still, even though we are making strides each and every day, uh, is still largely that way. And and the saddest part of it is that I, I think that there are really um, three subsets of gamers that play games, right? There are the ones yeah. that want to expand this hobby and to bring in uh, a new players that don't necessarily look like me or think like me and want to bring as many people into something that we found that is amazing as possible. And in order to do that, we recognize that we're going to have to change our experience to some degree in order to make a bigger tent for people, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. th then there are the ones that uh, are want to preserve the great thing that they have and are and unfortunately these are two sets of people right because there's there's one set that want to preserve what they have and do not value uh, making the tent bigger do not value bringing in new voices they want to keep what they have the way they have it and they're fine with the if the cost of that is the hobby not growing and new faces and new people and new people coming in and, and this is kind of where, and just if I may interject, sure, this is kind of where I really want to put not blame on people, but I think that's anti-competition. And I'm not some some yeah, no. some liberalist who wants to see free trade around the world necessarily, but you know I don't want to use this kind of loaded language. But it is that kind of case that when you stop expanding the circle, you you, you are at, at essence saying you are you are kind of fine and happy with the the limited competition outcomes that are available to you and that that's fine and that that in essence invites entropy and so to kind of you know not to to regard anyone's particular um kind of needful beliefs about their individual experience but just to say that competition if this is really the centerpiece of what makes a good game is everyone being able to compete sometimes on equal footing or sometimes on unequal but interesting footing as it has been talked about on the podcast before yep that crux means that by I think by its very definition we need to invite everybody in we need to have everybody at the table correct correct I totally agree and, and yeah to some degree not wanting anything to change and you know and and trying to actively dissuade change in an economic game would be introducing a tariff right uh, yeah. I'm going to to create an arbitrary cost to new people coming in uh, to this and that arbitrary cost is that uh, we speak to us and speak to ourselves and we design games that only speak to us and to ourselves and not to you. Um, but the third group of people that I was mentioning are people that uh, do intellectually want new want new blood coming in. They want they want more women in the hobby. They want more you know they they want new faces, new ideas. They want they want to expand the hobby, um, but they haven't quite reconciled with the changes that need to happen for that to really flourish right mm -hmm. yeah and that that you to know, me I, is the that to yeah. me is the most interesting group of people because those are those are people that 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 are ultimately the ones that are going to grow the hobby when they when they realize what needs to happen for that for that vision that they share uh to happen right absolutely and just from uh, just to kind of back it up a little bit and look at some of the systemic things you see, uh, and I, I apologize that one PAX game, the PAX technology game. Oh gosh, what is it called? Transhumanity. Transhumanity is a perfect example of 
what I see to be one of this like stoppages in the arteries of our industry <laughs> of the hobby, right? Because yeah. here's this game that is, you know, has a lot of fun details to it. it. It does, you know, all these PAX games have interesting little twists on the, but then just some thematic issues make it so that you are going to have people who, who by its very definition of the kind of the way the game wants to proceed it, it very willfully is, is kind of making light, making jest, making less of some people. And, it's fully within reason that people can explore these spaces, but you can see just immediately how it leaves uh, leaves dense out. It kind of it becomes a source of a lightning rod rather than a kind of uh, this kind of golden mean of what game can be. Yes, uh, uh, Phil Eklund, the designer of that game, is uh, is a problematic figure within the context that we're that we're describing right now. He is. Uh, uh, has very, very strong beliefs and kind of designs them into the game. I think of him as kind of the D.W. Griffith of our hobby, right? <laughs> like, oh, a genius, genius game, a genius movie. I, I can't watch it ever again. This is just, it is, it is genius in the service of nothing, right? Or in the service of less. Uh, and to some degree, that's, that's, listen, I love Phil Eklund's High Frontier because, yeah. uh, because, it has it doesn't press any any of those buttons, but when he gets into Pax Transhumanity, uh, Bios Origins is a, is another uh, game from from mm. that group from that shop. Um, and when I first was looking at it, uh, first of all, I think it's kind of brilliant. I haven't played it yet, but I'm dying to. Um, and one of the first developments you can make when you're trying to, you know, basically you're you're taking early man and trying to make Homo sapiens essentially is what the game is, which sounds very problematic and, yeah. <laughs> and it likely is going to be right but one of the first developments was uh, menopause and i was like mm-hmm. menopause first developments and i was like oh boy here here we go here we go uh, but then when i looked into it it was really interesting because in the notes in the back it was saying that actually menopause appears to be uh, from evolutionary biologists a, an advantageous development whereby um, women could live, uh, the females of the species could live longer and by living longer, transmit information, knowledge, care to the young ones. And that created an evolutionary ad- advantage, which, so I thought it was going to be some, some big anti-woman thing, but actually it, it wasn't. Actually, it, it pulled me down a different rabbit hole, which I guess it's just a, a means of saying that um, I I think that you're absolutely right. I think that his his games have a lot of problems with them. Um, even though I I don't think it uh, in his heart that's his that's his goal, right? I think I think there's well, we, the well is po- we, I think the well is poisoned. I don't think he's purposely poisoning it. I don't think we should, yeah we can't speak to someone's individual kind of out, output sure. other than the fact that they have made some pretty strident statements. Um, so we can speak yeah. to what they what they published and yep. what they kind of said out loud. But I will say I would love to see that same diversity of voices continue both 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 ways. Essentially, like you know, we should be having conversations about those old games, the ways to which we can make them not you know not less rough around the edges, but to really look at them for what their statements were and how we can upgrade that, update that, and just kind of yeah, we're not just going to negate them. We're not going to take them off uh, off the shelves necessarily, but we're gonna we're going to deal with them as they sit. And as an industry, then I think we can make moves forward 
and and by having those conversations both about designers, publishers, and and previous, we can just do better. And even if we're not encountering this kind of, you know, the the endless group of both like advanced and, and you know, people looking for the heaviest games and the less heaviest games and, you know, that whole dimension, we can at least start to kind of make better of, of our previous history and kind of move, move it all forward. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the way I look at it is is this, is when I browse through my my games when i go through a list of the, the the games that i have on my on my wall i'm like okay um that is a medieval era game about the princes in florence that one is a medieval era game about the princes in germany that one's a medieval <laughs> game of the princes and you know and and at a certain point i'm like look look i love all the games but i don't the the theme is not at all why i love any of those um there are so many there's such an opportunity here there are so many stories that are untold and undertold and those are specifically things that are going to speak to the kinds of people that we want we want to share this amazing hobby with and we want to bring into the to the experience um and it's it's it doesn't take much and I think that the, the 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 richness of that storytelling, the richness of those themes and those settings and those uh, those perspectives, are going to be just such a net positive. Mm-hmm. That's the way. I and it's yeah, representation is a huge part of that, but also you know mechanics that then um, that also kind of regard and, and kind of offer possibilities. It's not just simply about I think having. Um, you know, changing the kings for a different kind of king. Uh, it's also just kind of recognizing and occupying all the different outgrowths of the way people compete, as we have often talked about all these different forms of competition, sure. uh, mechanics and mechanisms that that also can have cooperative. And, and I think, you know, there's this kind of movement towards the, we have a lot of knife fight games in our particular group, but there is a whole different kind of way of enjoying game that doesn't necessarily have as much of the shooty, blangy, bloodied aspect and mm-hmm. just finding more of those joys in heavier fashions and lighter fashions, finding all these different uh, combinations of ways that these mechanisms and mechanics can come together is, is also going to bring a lot of uh, a lot more people into the hobby. Cause it isn't just about, you know, uh, immediately having a theme that then, you know, it's like, Oh, I, I really enjoy this. Some people obviously are allergic to fantasy. Some people uh, <laughs> uh, love it and kind of need these things, but that isn't just where it stops. It has to be in all aspects of of what we're doing, and I think it's already happening. It's we're already seeing the huge growth of the industry happens to be because we are at the very verge of having the, all that come together. But I just I can't I kind of can't wait for it to happen fast enough because you know we love it here. This is this is our space. Yeah. And I lo- I adore the fact that I feel included and I feel recognized because I have a game group that's just so, you know, at the forefront of pushing these ideas. And I, I feel really proud of all of you in, in that way. And I feel really honored to be amongst y'all. It's great. And and us to you as well. Um, yeah, I, I think that your competition comment in particular is a very interesting uh, point that – um, people said when Euros first started coming out, people that played the you know the older, more warlike games and all that sort of stuff, that oh well, this is just multiplayer solitaire. Yeah, and it's not. It's not. How do we know? 
because now we have multiplayer solitaire. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the people the people playing those games are people like me who are looking at, why can't we just go back to a good old punch-you-in-the-nose punch game like Agricola, and, and, which is exactly the game that people used to talk about, about having no competition, you know, no interaction with people whatsoever. No, it's not yeah. true. It's not true. It's just not roll dice and murder people on the, on the board. It is, oh, you took the wood that I wanted to take. It's still it's a tremendous it's a tremendously right it, it's a tremendously competitive thing. It just doesn't have certain other baggage on it, right? And, and exactly. You know, and I, I think that for some people, the multiplayer solitaire is where they're going to uh, to to live and thrive. They want they want to be doing a puzzle alongside somebody, not against somebody. And there's a lot of people that, are, that probably would be able to access our hobby if games were more like that. And so I'm glad that we do. I'm glad the roll and write movement has brought mm-hmm. a lot of those people in, right? I think that's a great thing too. Absolutely. All the different kinds of storytelling, all the different things that encapsulate competition as we recognize it increasingly as being this highly nuanced, diverse set of, of game. And we can embrace all of that and move it forward. And I, this is just, you know, part of the segment is just a wish, but also just a recognition, a recognition that we're, we're, at, you know, at this verge of just jumping off this beautiful cliff into unknown territory, unknown waters. And I love it. Indeed. Thanks so much, Alfred. I thought that was a great, uh, a great topic. Something, mm-hmm. a lot to think about. Obviously, shall we get to one game sommelier? Yes, please. Let's do it. Sometimes a player just got to know. Which game should stay? Which game should go? Which to play with mama, madame, abou? You got to tell me, monsieur, just what to do. Want to make an impression, but I can't get far. As my 50th player of Agricola. A million games. Show me the way to the master. The game sommelier. Yeah. <laughs> we- I love it. <laughs> We've got uh, an interesting one today. This one, uh, somebody, uh, Game Straight, uh, posted something on uh, Discord that was interesting. Uh, this one might test you guys, as I know it's not in your preferred games, especially for Tom. <laughs> My wife is not a fan of interaction in games. I don't think you mean interaction, but I will accept that. She much prefers multiplayer solitaire. She likes to work on and build her own, uh, on her own without people interfering with her strategy. What are some good mid-weight games for her? Now, mm. he does mean interaction, actually. because the, So this is very, very interesting. Um, a lot of times when people say multiplayer solitaire, they mean different things, right? Some people, yeah. when they say multiplayer solitaire, they just mean you don't have directed aggression between one player and another. But there is still a lot of, oh, you did the thing I wanted to do. Now I can't do it, right? And yeah. that's not really multiplayer solitaire, right? That's, that's interaction. It's just, but it's, let's just say it's on a spectrum, right? Everything's on a spectrum now. Right. It is definitely, that is definitely a spectrum. But she wants games that she can build on her own without people interfering with her. And that is the much more stricter version of, uh, of uh, multiplayer solitaire in terms of definitions. Um, do you have, do you have, what are your, what are your notions? What, well, do you, what do you go to? Yeah. My mind goes to a few places. It's mostly about this kind of medium weight game that ticks some of those boxes and where my head immediately goes is something like feast for Odin. Now there's competition in that. 
but you are building your own player area, right? You have your own board, and so you, your imagineering is really only bounded by uh, what your aspirations are in terms of the total. Now, yep. I don't know if we can totally abdicate this idea of competition and have it still be something, you know, not just a puzzle that you're assembling, but I'm also drawn towards La Granja, which we've talked about in the past in the pod. Yep, um, yep. I think that game, there is some some sharp points in terms of who gets where first, but in many ways, you're... Your farm, I mean, one of the favorite things about that game for me is just that beautiful aspect of imagining myself on my Spanish farm, putting putting us all together. And there's really an aspect to which you can have something very special that you build up between all the different uh, elements that you, you lay down. And then finally, the voyage is a Marco Polo 2. There is some real competition about who gets where first. But in many ways, the asymmetry means that you really are kind of playing your own game. Yeah, very um, much so. So between those those three, I think there's some. I would hope there's some contenders there, but maybe I'm missing the vibe. Maybe this is indeed kind no. of outside of our game group's kind of balance. But yeah, I'm very curious your thoughts. No, I, I I think you're I think you're dead on right in that those are low interaction games, but they're not multiplayer solitaire. So um, yeah. now the thing about Feast for Odin is that yes, you could go to a space that I want to go to. And and what he's saying is is that uh, she, she likes to work on building her own, uh, building things on her own without people interfering with her strategy, and that could mm-hmm. happen. The thing about Feast for Odin, though, is that there are so many spaces that the chances of there being that conflict are much smaller than in most other games. And in addition, there are also spaces where you can take an action somebody's already taken. So the game is kind of built toward minimizing those uh, those conflicts to some degree, whereas a lot of his other designs, Uwe Rosenberg's other designs, are much more competitive. Um, I will also say that I think Fields of Arl, which is a two-player game that uh, we've reviewed recently, is the same, maybe even more open, maybe even fewer uh, conflicts between people wanting the, the same thing. And it's a gorgeous two-player game, so I would highly recommend that. Um, Orléans, Orléans is a, a bag builder game in which there is no competition. You can mm-hmm. you are building your thing, they're building their thing. I think Orléans is a perfect perfect match for for you guys. I'm going to say Roads and Boats if you guys agree, <laughs> if you agree to to play cooperatively uh, and and just not just not do the you know not start building walls against each other. It's a wonderful game. I mean you you're it is such an interesting logistics puzzle to build things up and to move things around, to get things going. You can even play a game in which my society and your society never even meet <laughs> or don't even yeah, meet. you can until... pick a map that they're kind of separate islands, right? Isn't that possible? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and in many versions of the game, when the space isn't quite so tight, it takes quite some time before you encounter, uh, encounter somebody else. So that's a, another interesting thing. Um, as far as the Italian designers go, Newton is a very, very low interaction game. There's really only of the five or six different things you do in that game, there's only one in which I, by me going here before you, I get something and you can't have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then last but not least, uh, I've, I said I don't like Paladins of the West Kingdom because it is extremely low interaction and virtually entirely multiplayer solitaire. So Paladins of the West Kingdom, I prefer Architects, but I prefer Architects because there is more interaction between players. And if you are not toward that, Paladins of the West Kingdom, if you like multiplayer solitaire, is an amazing game. It's really, really good as far as that goes. 
And then last but not least, I'm going to say uh, Sagrada. Even though there is competition, Sagrada is a great puzzle game where you can build on your own with relatively little interference. And last but not least, <laughs> Ricochet Robots. <laughs> I love it. Ricochet Robots out. has no it is it is multiplayer solitaire. The only thing that makes it not multiplayer solitaire is somebody is going to call out a number. <laughs> and if they call it if they call out a, a number before you do and you can't get a lower number then they're going to score the point for that. So it might not technically speaking it meets all of your qualifications. It might not meet your qualifications because it is very competitive in in the, the the certain way that it is, but uh, yeah, I you know I'm I'm surprised when I was you know when when I looked at that question I was like oh boy okay how are we going to do this? But you're dead on right when you said when you said fields of, when you said fields of uh, when you said feast for Odin, uh, you and I were thinking in exactly the same space. What is a game that has a little bit of competition, a little bit of of interaction, but it's minimized within the game design. And I think those are some very good examples, right? Yeah. And I really hope that, you know, during this period of time that if you get these games and if any of these games make your table, uh, please let us know, let us know how it goes. And, uh, and we're always are dialing in our recommendations, but I really, you, you had a whole host of really excellent games that are exactly ticking those boxes. So, I would hope between uh, either of our ideas that there's going to be some gold in there for y'all. Very much hope so. Alfred, it is such a pleasure. You are missed. You are missed on a regular basis. The the best thing about COVID is that I don't miss you more because I miss everybody now. (laughs) And I do. And again, like as I stated earlier, I just I love the fact that we're doing online gaming that that these that it wasn't, you know, something that was just existed for me on like, what was it like Tuesdays and Friday nights um, when I wasn't on tour now can happen almost all the time on these asynchronous games. And on the occasional time that we actually do, do, you know, find real, real time um, with the kid now, it, it has, it has grown a little less again. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the ways that I can look back at episodes that we've done and, and kind of take, take hints and crib notes about ways I can introduce games to my kid. I mean, I can't believe I'm even saying that. I love it. And oh. uh, we built we built something here that's beautiful. And I can't wait to see it blossom for me again. You totally did. You totally did. So happy for your uh, for your newfound uh, uh, bliss. Uh, I hope you and Jane are tremendously happy and just soak it in. They're 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 amazing, amazing uh, sleepless days and sleepless nights. Yeah. <laughs> And, and uh, yes. it, it's it's a it's a true joy, and I'm so glad that you're experiencing it, folks. We have a YouTube channel. It's youtubecom forward slash c forward slash gamebrainpod. We have a Facebook group, a Discord channel, um, and please get in those board game sommelier requests. We're always looking for a good sommelier request. And you've been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. Hey, wait, that's you. We're on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. Or you can reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks so much for listening. And please go play some games with friends online or virtually make some friends with games.